Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On last week's episode, I was talking about the importance of stories that come from all different types of identities, rather it be age, ethnicity, gender, religion, uh, or different types of experiences. When I learn about a story based on an experience that I'm unfamiliar with, then I'm immediately inclined to want to learn more about it. This week's episode is definitely one of those stories as I welcome Kaylee Whalen to Autism Stories to discuss the neurodivergent experience in the goth scene. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Kaylee, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I wanted to start out like I do on each of these episodes of Autism Story and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? So in 2016, a transgender man named Caden Clark was murdered by police on a suicide crisis call. And this event really got a lot of people in the autistic community and transgender community talking about the intersections between being autistic and being trans. And I came out as trans in 2006. I've known I was neurodivergent since about that same time, maybe more like 2004. But this was the first kind of big conversation I ever took part in and big movement advocacy event I took part in was something that was called hashtag trans autistic pride. And there was a joint statement released condemning the police murder of Kenny Clark and talking about how often autistic people are told that we're not the experts on our own lives and that like Kenny Clark had been told like, oh, you're not trans, you can't, but by a therapist, doctor, medical professionals, oh, you have to cure your autism first before we'll treat you for being transgender which is ridiculous. You don't cure autism, it's part of who we are. So kind of being part of that hashtag autistic trans pride campaign was like my entry into autistic advocacy and autistic community. And I was working at the National LGBTQ Task Force at the time. I learned recently um, that you were writing about something that I thought was, you know, I was very excited to learn about um, something I haven't seen written about before, um, and that is you're writing an essay um, with research about neurodivergence in the goth in the goth scene. What made you decide to want to work on this? So I saw a letter distributed by my friend Lydia Brown from a disability studies professor that was collecting an anthology of essays called Heavy metal music and disability crips crowds and cacophony (laughs) and i initially saw this and i was like wow that sounds really cool too bad i'm not born to heavy metal and then i read the description i was like wait a second 
Oh, there's tons of gothic metal and, and death metal and blue metal. It doesn't require that like metal be like the primary part of what you listen to. Because I, I consider myself goth. So where goth music overlaps with metal, that's kind of where I feel I have a place. And my last concert before COVID was actually a heavy metal concert in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. So this was an exciting opportunity because for most of my life, I didn't know the term neurodivergent. I didn't really have neurodiversity community or autistic community. Really, like I said, I got to know autistic advocates in like 2016. But I always had felt like the goth community was a place where people could talk about depression, bipolar, things that made you different from the rest of the world were somewhat celebrated and accepted in the goth subculture and in the collection of data on this. I also included like heavy metal and punk and like Renaissance festival subcultures where they overlapped with goth. So people who like identify very primarily with being punk, but like very much participated in like kind of overlap with goth subculture, they counted. Just like I identify strongly with punk and metal and like Renaissance festival stuff, but primarily identify with goth, I feel like there's a huge overlap. Now, as part of the research, you created a uh, goth neurodiversity community survey. What type of information were you trying to learn about the survey? A lot of it was qualitative. It was a supplement to one-on-one interviews that I did with people to learn about their stories and why the goth subculture was important to them. And also, if they were autistic, or if they had other neurodivergent conditions, very commonly people had bipolar, ADHD, depression, but a whole slew of different things, sensory processing disorder, hyperlexia, dyslexia, all sorts of things were included. So, one of the most fascinating things about the data collection, now, a lot of people know that there's larger percentage of people in the autistic and neurodivergent communities who are transgender and or LGBTQ than people who are, well, who are non-autistic, non-neurodivergent, allistic, as we say. And also, a lot of people know that the goth scene has a lot of LGBTQ people and is kind of a very gender-fluid, LGBT-accepting, I'd say bisexual-accepting place. I don't see many, like, cis gay men there, but I see a lot of gender fluidity and other identities, including other trans and non-binary people, such as myself. So the surprising, yet not surprising part of this data collection is that, like, 80, around 80% of the people replied were not straight. Only technically... Yeah, 77% of people who answered were straight, and it was also they could choose more than one. So it was interesting to see just how clear this this sample was, because they didn't just sample LGBT people. And then even more fascinating, like, almost none of the people who answered the survey were cisgender, like, like 70% of the people who answered were transgender, non-binary, 
gender fluid, femme, butch, queer, gender queer. And very few identified as cisbed. I had all of them, like, I want to say, like, two cisgendered by the Edsober survey, which was fascinating. There's just a lot of queerness in the neurodivergent community, a lot of LGBT and queerness in the goth community. When you combine the two, oh my God, that's almost everyone's LGBT. Was there anything else, like, really surprising? Because, yeah. I maybe wouldn't have guessed it was that high, but not not super surprised by that. Was there anything like in the one-on-one interviews or through the survey that really jumped out at you? One of my goals that I had in the data collection was to tell the survey of multiply marginalized neurodivergent and goth folks. So I really prioritized doing one-on-one interviews with BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color, and Latinx people who may or may not identify as BIPOC, I'm Latinx and multiracial. So I get very tired of kind of this idea that the goth scene is just like a white subculture. I had so many uh, people of color tell me during the interviews, oh my God, I got so sick of being the one black person that people knew was goth. Or I got sick of going to a club and like, you know, getting going to, like, a non-goth space and people, like, didn't understand why I dressed like this, didn't understand why I didn't, like, hip-hop or reggaeton. And, God, it was really hard being, like, you know, a Latinx or, or black or goth. I actually know a lot of Asian Pacific Islander goths. I was living in Vietnam for some time and a part of the goth scene there. So, actually, I found it was less atypical for Asian Pacific Islander folks to identify with God for various reasons. But that said, I interviewed people who were second-generation Goths, who had, like, a black father or, like, two black parents who were, like, second-generation black Goth. And I had second-generation Latin American Goths. And it was interesting because those people had very unique stories. Because for those who didn't have, like, people of color in their immediate family who were goth, they often thought, oh, my God, I'm the only black person in the goth club. But for people who had parents who were BIPOC and goth, they were like, oh, I always felt like you could be BIPOC and goth. I never felt like there was a kind of crisis of identity there. And likewise, I wanted to sample, oversample for BIPOC people because not enough autistic and neurodivergent people of color get highlighted and profiled and talked about. And unfortunately, as my friend Lydia XC Brown, who I know you interviewed, has infamously said, like, the disability movement is as white as Antarctica. I just really didn't want to tell disability stories from just people who were white, so... I had a really fun time getting to know all these different kind of cultural things. Like, I feel weird being Latinx and being God sometimes. Why don't you like, you know, Latin music? Why don't you dance like a lot of girls? Why don't you, why do you wear this pale thing? You know, like, yeah. And also pale makeup's kind of a whole other, like, thing. People have this weird stereotype, but like, goths wearing white pancake makeup. And they're like, oh, it's a white subculture. People wear white makeup. And I'm like, people wear makeup that, like, makes them feel like ghastly or bullish or I hate to say this but also like kind of like sickly anyone with any skin color can do that like I've seen so many black and POC gods who have fascinating makeup that's clearly recognizable as god and it's not all about white face so I, always, I just really hate that stereotype too 
It's interesting you bring that up. I really know nothing about the history of the BIPOC goth culture experience. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Part of my research is I really went into black, goth, and post-punk history. There's been a lot of representation that's been invisible in punk and post-punk. Now, X-Ray Specs isn't a, a goth band, but they have a big influence on what later became goth, and their lead singer was black and one of the more famous in the punk scene. But, like, a lot of people know about She Wants Revenge. There's always been people of color in the goth scene. They're just often invisible, like many movements. The LGBT movement, for example, we forget that there are people of color involved in the very beginning. There's a ton of post-punk bands. I was in Thailand and Vietnam. I've seen goth and post-punk and metal, you know, bands who are, you know, Asian Pacific Islander, you know, locals. And one of my favorite people who I interviewed for this is my Vietnamese tutor and friend who I met at a drag fashion show in Saigon. And she was pretty much single-handedly responsible for bringing goth fashion to Vietnam. And she formed a fashion design company because a lot of Vietnamese people were like, oh, Vietnamese people, our temperature, our climate, our skin color, our culture... Goth doesn't really work well for that. You can't be goth in Vietnamese, and she heard this all the time. And so she decided to, like, design Vietnamese clothes for Vietnamese people that were goth and also J-Rock, Visual Key-inspired. Visual Key has its own identity as birthing gothic Lolita out of kind of rock bands in Japan, so... It's really goth all around the world. Um, Mexico City has El Real, which is a very famous goth club. Josico is a very famous band that came out of uh, Mexico and was one of my first introductions to the goth scene. So there's really goth culture all over the world, including a lot of people of color. Now, you know, I think a lot about people being more like who they are and, and who they're truly meant to be all the time, being kind of trying to be our authentic selves. I'm just wondering, how do you see the goth scene as helping people um, in this area as a result to better advocate for who, for their, to be their authentic selves? Oh my God, this is such a great question because I think this is one of the defining characteristics of the goth subculture and why it is so welcoming there's some caveats, which I'll discuss, but by and large, far more welcoming to neurodivergent people than mainstream culture and most subcultures, for that matter. I've dabbled in all sorts of subcultures. I think goth, from its very beginning, ironically, some of the earliest goth music was called positive punk because it dealt with emotions and more than just anger. It was called positive because it was like processing more difficult things it's kind of like a silly label and it didn't stick for good reason but goth's always had like a very emotional edge there's always kind of been ex explorations of madness i mean she's lost control by joy division would be kind of a foundational post-punk song that set the stage for a lot of goths plunge into insanity and madness i mean I mean, it's, it's really a double-edged sword because 
that subculture really kind of celebrates like madness. Like we all love like the Mad Hatter and the Cheshire Cat and like, you know, the quote, like we're all mad here. So many goths have like shirts that say something like that. You know, I have a million Cheshire Cat and Alice in Wonderland like decorations and things. I went to Burning Man and like my entire tent was decorated Alice in Wonderland theme. <laughs> I've always considered my first time I went to a goth club in, like, 2002 was, like, going down the rabbit hole, and I never, like, came back after descending into the madness that is the goth scene, so more recently in kind of, like, more in Europe and the UK, you've actually had movements called Mad Pride, which are similar to the Disability Pride and Neurodiversity Pride movements here. But, like, I think goths were doing mad pride for a very long time before it became seen as a political movement because goths talk about depression. Our music's often about depression. Our music is about not fitting social norms. And what is more about not fitting social norms than being autistic? I mean, that's a defining characteristic of autism is we're awkward. We don't like social norms. We don't like small talk. Bauhaus, which is often considered the first goth band because it's 1979 single, Bela Lugosi's Dead, has a song called Small Talk Stakes. Like, what is more, like, autistic than, like, a song called Small Talk Stakes? So these themes of, like, so I'm ranting, right? And I'm autistic, and many people consider this, like, a special interest. And that's one of the defining characteristics of goth subculture is goths tend to be super devoted. Like, we carry that identity into almost every aspect of our lives. I mean, right now, I'm wearing black eyeliner, all black, you know, dark lipstick. I don't wear this every day, but I feel more comfortable as myself wearing black. It's part of my identity. It's part of my special interest, but in the goth scene, it doesn't matter if you're autistic or whatever. The more you know about goth, the more welcomed you are the more excited and, like, energized by the goth subculture you are, like, you get cred. Like, the more you can talk about goth, the more cred you get in the scene. And what's more accepting for autistic people than a subculture that values people who can info dump about goth? Because that's what goth people generally can do. Because we have to explain our subculture to everyone, you know? (laughs) Because it's not understood by so many? Yeah, and it's the butt of, like, a million jokes, you know? It's it's easy to parody, but to live it every day and to have it be a formational part of your identity, yeah, I mean, goths make fun of goths, too. Like, Voltaire, the singer, Aurelio Voltaire, has a whole book, like, What is Goth? which is parodies about subculture. But it's, it's kind parodies from, like, the love we have. But so many, like, I really hate, like, Goth kids get made fun of. They get made fun of on YouTube by cringe culture, which is like cringe culture is like this awful internet phenomenon where people watch videos of like kids and autistic people and trans people who might have special interests and they make fun of them. Like it's so easy to like be like, oh God, that goth makeup, like why is that person wearing those clothes? That's so weird. Let's record a video making fun of them. Like, that stuff is really toxic, and, like, goth is really against that kind of thing. We don't like making fun of each other for having weird esoteric special interests, you know, or hyperfixations, or whatever term you might want to use. 
you know, we don't just have autistic people, but we all love goth. So making fun of people for being excited about a subculture that gives them validity, like, is kind of, you know, unproductive and mean. Yeah. Now, your essay about um, neurodivergence in the goth scene will be published in a disability studies anthology. Can you talk a little bit about this anthology? Yeah, so it's called Crips, Crowds, and Cacophony, Heavy Metal Music and Disability. It's still in the editing stage, so everyone involved in the project is disabled. We have you know, changed the deadlines and publishing dates multiple times. One of the editors had health issues and had to drop. So I don't have like a publication date or more, a lot more details about like the other authors yet, but I'm happy to provide updates. The main thing I can talk about is the fact that like the scholars who have worked on it have written about like queerness in heavy metal subculture and they've written about like dark folk music and like other musical subcultures that overlap with goth quite a bit. I was actually hesitant to send something at first because I don't really primarily identify with the heavy metal scene. I'm like an old school trad romantic goth, traditional slash romantic goth. And I only got into metal more recently, but I'm excited to be accepted by essay despite that. And like Maybe about like a quarter of the music I discussed in my essay is heavy metal related, but there's always been inspirations going back to Black Sabbath and the goth scene, and more recently, gothic metal becoming a genre with bands like Paradise Lost has been Nightwish, very famous metal band that many goths love. Many people who I interviewed love Nightwish. I love Nightwish. Uh, one of the heavy metal bands that I absolutely had to include, and when I interviewed people, like, so many people brought up this band, their name is Delane, and they're a heavy metal band that it recorded a song called We Are The Others, and We Are The Others is kind of an ode to, like, goth and heavy metal and, like, freaks who aren't accepted by society. And it includes talking about the way we think. In a music video, there are neurodivergent people holding up signs like, I'm ADHD. I I think someone said Asperger's. They didn't use the term autistic. But also, this is an older video, like 2012, when Asperger's was still a condition. But the reason this music video and this band is so important is also this song was a tribute to a goth who was murdered because of being a freak. I hesitate to say, like, anti-goth hatred. It's a little different than bias-related crimes, such as being a person of color. There's been a lot of debates, including, like, the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. Sophie Lancaster was the person who was murdered that Sophie Lancaster Foundation tries to pass hate crimes laws to make goth like covered hate crimes class and they've succeeded in some areas in the UK. But as a racial justice advocate, I don't really like hate crimes laws. They expand the police and prison system. I don't really believe being goth is the same as being racially profiled. But the murder of Sophie Lancaster was specifically because she was a freak, a weirdo, probably neurodivergent. And other, you know, she was othered by 
by society and her boyfriend was nearly murdered with her for no reason other than hate. And she was called all sorts of awful names. And the song is an ode to all the people who are other and it includes race and disability, you know, in the song itself. So that's, if, if I could say where heavy metal and disability intersect, Sophie Lancaster and We Are the Others in Delaying is a perfect example of kind of the heavy metal community's awareness that disability is part of and overlapping with the heavy metal scene. Now, something else that you've done recently is you've relaunched your YouTube channel focusing on travel. And um, I, your most recent video uh, is regarding travel tips for trans and non-binary folks. What are some, you know, things, some things for trans and non-binary folks to consider when they're traveling to another country like you do? Yeah, so I'm in Guatemala City now. I've traveled the world solo for over 14 months, and I have a blog called Trans World View about traveling the world and interviewing trans and non-binary people around the world. So I started this series of tips videos to help other autistic, neurodivergent, and trans people to feel safe traveling. And from my very first tips video, I have given advice about how to research like LGBTQ acceptance in different countries in the video you're referring to, talked about how to kind of go through very gender binary and invalidating screenings at airports and border crossings and how so often trans people are face really awful things while they're getting screened at like TSA and such. So I talked about tips to like stay safe and kind of know your rights at airports. And then the interesting thing is just before we did this interview, I actually dropped another video. So now I have four videos, hopefully five or six in the series by the time this is aired because I try to drop one a week. And uh, the recent one was on autistic travel tips, food, and staying healthy while traveling. That's another big thing for autistic folks. We often have difficulty with dietary restrictions, allergies, celiac disease, lactose sensitivity, and this is all about staying healthy while traveling. So all my tips are aimed at helping neurodivergent and LGBTQIA people like myself travel, covering everything from, you know, airports to accommodations, LGBT rights laws, you know, neurodivergent communities in other countries. So they're meant to be a resource at youtube.com slash kaywillen, so it's K-A-Y-L-Y. W-H-A-L-E-N, that's my name on the episode. Yeah, YouTube.com slash Keely So, yeah. Well, thanks for the new video. I'll have something to do after we talk. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, before we go, is there anything um, that you'd like to talk about that I haven't mentioned, haven't asked you about? Yeah, so one of the things, in addition to, like, kind of profiling the goth community and specifically people of color, and neurodivergent people within the goth community, is the essay also explored the music itself and the cultural touchstones, as I say in the essay, that point to neurodivergence having always been part of the goth scene. And one of the most interesting cultural touchstones I talked about is something called the changeling. Yeah, you're nodding your head, you know what that is. A lot of autistic people know what changelings are because for 
hundreds, if not thousands of years, autistic development late disabled people, the belief was that we had been swapped at birth or swapped like a few years after birth with like a fairy child, often by like a mischievous, like dark, the term might be unseely fairy. That means the kind of disorderly, chaotic trickster fairies. So autistic people for a long time were like, oh, you're not a real child. Like you're just a fairy child who shapeshifted into my child or you're actually a piece of tree that was like shapeshifted to look like a child. And there are several goth songs, including a band called The Changelings. So there's songs by the band Changelings. There's a heavy metal band called Changelings. But I specifically looked at four different songs about Changelings and some poetry and books and how goth subculture explores this really dark myth of the Changeling. As many autistic people might know, many the there is a problem with autistic children being murdered by their parents, often seen as an undue burden, a parasite, that they are, you know, sucking away the life of the mother and father. And that is a holdover from the changeling mythology that many autistic and developmentally disabled children were murdered by parents who were like, oh, they're just a parasitic dark fairy who's sapping all our resources and eating all our food. That's why one of the most common aspects of the changeling myth is they're like ravenously hungry is like that they justified murdering autistic children because they were like eating food that could have gone to a different child so it's a very dark myth and if there's one thing that goth is very good at it's exploring very dark mythology and so while many people think about vampires and werewolves and how goth kind of makes anti-heroes out of like the, you know, noble vampire, like, you know, the Lestat figure, there's not that much awareness that, like, goth has always, like, loved Changeling mythology. There's even a goth role-playing game called The World of Darkness, Changeling the Dreaming. And so I really explored Changelings, and I had a ton of fun exploring Changeling myths in my stories. The one metal band that I profiled is a band called Alcest, and they have a album translated into English as the, it's in French is uh, the voyage of the soul. And it very much follows a changing mythology of like the changeling, like trying to find their soul in another realm because they've been separated from this fairy realm at birth. And they're trying to find their origin story and find who they really are because they know their soul is not a human soul. And it's venturing into this dark whispering woods and hearing the call of nature and the fairy folk and journeying there. It's called Voyages of the Soul, uh, you know, Journey of the Soul, depending how you translate it by Alsace. So it was fascinating in translation, analyzing the entire album and how it follows common changing mythology. Although the word changing is not used, the lead singer has talked quite a bit about how they relate to fairy mythology and often feel like they're an alien in this world, that they're some otherworldly being who happens to be forced into the human world. I don't know if they're neurodivergent or not, my guess is yes, but I very much enjoyed analyzing this particular metal band, which many people would consider to be very gothic, if not 
technically gothic metal. So it's Alcest, A-L-C-E-S-T, and I cannot pronounce French, but <laughs> let's, I'm not even going to say it, but Voyages of the Soul is mm-hmm. the English translation. Yeah. yeah. You know, just hearing you talk is making me think, you know, in so many walks of life, you know, it's difficult for a lot of times for autistic or neurodivergent folks to kind of be openly autistic or neurodivergent. I'm wondering with um, like in terms of goth culture, do you see much of a difference there? I definitely think goths are much more open about being neurodivergent. I think autism is having kind of a a much more visible presence now. I think for a lot of us who came into the goth scene in the late 90s and early 2000s, autism just wasn't really as well understood. But we all just knew we were didn't fit in. We didn't like social norms. We didn't fit in with mainstream subculture. We knew our brains worked a different way. And one of the ways to express being neurodivergent and be proud of being neurodivergent was to be goth and talk about, you know, anxiety, depression, symptoms of autism, even if we didn't know we were autistic. Now, for people who came into the goth scene in like the last 10 years, when autism has, and neurodiversity has become much more commonly understood, now those people often entered the goth scene knowing already they were autistic or there's a lot of like Tumblr goths, you know, like the social media platform, not as popular now, but a lot of people found the goth and autistic communities through Tumblr. And I had so many people like the newer generation, maybe like one generation younger than me. They're like, yeah, like goth and autism were like so interlinked in the community I was part of. You know, we all talked about it and it was like very open. And that wasn't my experience, but I came into the goth scene in like 2001, you know, I started hearing like goth music maybe in the late 90s and we just didn't, I mean, neurodiversity had been used in an essay by then, but there wasn't really an organized neurodiversity movement or disability justice movements that talked about, you know, autistic self-advocacy and there weren't groups like the Autistic Women on Binary Network, you know, and there weren't, you know, outspoken people at the time like Lydia XC Brown and Mel Baggs who like really defined the kind of recent neurodiversity movement. Now, Lydia XC Brown, I keep mentioning their name, they were actually one of the people I interviewed. And they were actually one of the people who brought up the song We Are The Others by Delane, as did several others. Uh, Shane Newmeyer, I interviewed, who's a famous neurodivergent advocate and has worked on the Stop the Shock, Judge Roddenberg Center protests. I interviewed a lot of people working in disability justice, Nome Lam, who is the creative director at Sins Invalid, which is a disability justice BIPOC LGBT-led group. I interviewed folks that were just doing autistic advocacy on their own. And like I said, I really prioritized telling stories of groups and individuals who were people of color and tried to get away from telling the story of like the whites as Antarctica, like founders of the neurodiversity and, you know, the white founding fathers myth. You know, I tried to look beyond that. I tried to look at POC goths and POC neurodivergent people, you know, and trans, you know, very important talk about trans that get away from cis white men seen as founders of autism advocacy and the goth scene. I mean, we all worship Peter Murphy. Well, not all of us. A lot of us love Peter Murphy. 
you know, very famous goths, but like, you know, I wanted to look at people other than white men like Peter Murphy when I looked at the music that I analyzed, so... Well, Kaylee, uh, it's always interesting talking with you, and I always um, learn so much. So thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, my God. I have one more thing I had to add. There is a song called Ship on Fire, and it's by a black-fronted black metal band. And this was an amazing story like a historical fiction story that one of the, the goths I interviewed educated me about that like there is this just like amazing story of a, of a confederate like naval um, basically an assistant on a ship who was a slave who, who hijacked a confederate ship and so like Zeal and Ardor this uh, black metal band that's black fronted wrote like several albums from like an African American perspective uh, and a like slavery history perspective so i wanted to name specifically a black fronted like black metal extremely gothic song so yeah check out like ship on fire by zeal and ardor it's amazing so yeah you definitely gave people enough uh, music to listen uh (laughs) that they could look up and and, uh, learn from (laughs) thanks okay thank you so much Thanks so much to Kaylee for the conversation. To learn more about Kaylee, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. If you would like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can coach you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things you want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you, uh, it would very much be appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss coaching for the autistic community. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.